Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about a common topic and common question I get, which is, how can you tell the difference between just behavior, like typical kid difficult behavior, and behavior that is being caused by anxiety or OCD? And this is such a common issue because we really want to approach those things a bit differently. And I'm going to go into in this episode why that is and how to spot the difference so that you can have kind of a better handle on how to approach things that are going on in your house when your kid's being oppositional or angry or just a little stinker and you're not sure, is this my child's anxiety or OCD or should I just handle this like I would handle any other parenting issue? So before we get started though, I do want to let you know that my three-part video series on self-care for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD is back by popular demand. I do this series twice a year and I haven't done it, I think in six months and people have been asking about it. It only comes out, like I said, twice a year, and it's really focusing on how to help you take care of yourself, but not in probably the way that you're thinking. It is more about how to shift your mindset. I talk about perception issues. I talk about our own struggles, our own childhood, and how we view our child's issues. So I I dive deep into kind of parental mindset around anxiety and OCD, talk about physical issues and physical clues in our body. And then I talk about support systems. So it is called self-care, but it may be a little bit different than what you you normally think of when we think of self-care. And it is free. It is a video series and you get these three videos that come out during the week that we have the series. And I actually am going to have a pop-up Facebook group for this video series. I haven't done that in the past where everyone who's taking the series can get together. They can talk about the videos that they're seeing. I'm a real big game person. I like to run raffles and prizes. And so we will have a lot of that going on in there as well. So if you want to sign up for this series, if you've taken it before, you can take it again. They are the same videos, but I do Facebook lives on the videos and it's just kind of a feel good week and it will be happening in a few weeks. It'll be happening this month and you can sign up. I will leave a link in the show notes, but you can also sign up if you just want to text to the number 44222, just text all in one word, AT self-care. That's AT self-care, no spaces to the number 44222. And I will add you myself. Well, I actually won't. It's automated, (laughs) but you will get added to the email series that will contact you and let you know when those videos are up and the link to the private Facebook group that we're going to be having just for this series. So I hope that you'll join me over there. And if you've taken it before, take it again. I find that every time I do it, and this will be the fifth time I think I've done this series, I improve. Like my approaches to my kids improve, my mood improves. (laughs) So you can be a repeat customer for my AT self-care series. You are more than welcome to join us again. Okay. Speaking of taking care of ourselves, let's talk about how to deal with difficult behavior, which causes a lot of stress in our parenting, because I think one of the most exhausting aspects of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD 
are all the difficult behaviors that tend to come with it. Besides the compulsions and the panic and the stress are the harder behaviors. So let's just go into why it's important to know the difference. So I just want to quickly talk about that and touch on that because you might be saying, well, I don't want my child to use their difficult behavior. I don't want them to use anxiety or OCD as an excuse for their difficult behavior, or I don't want them to get away with their behavior just because it's anxiety or OCD. So I want to start with that. And maybe you don't think that, but maybe your partner does. So let's just preface this entire thing with the fact that we're not talking about kids getting away with difficult behavior. And really in reality, that's the wrong way to look at it in general, because we're not, no matter what, whether it's caused by anxiety or OCD, or whether it's caused by a child being hungry or a child being, you know, flexing their independence or there's always a reason for kids' behaviors. So I do want to preface this whole thing with that. And I feel like even typical parenting approaches can be positive. There could be life lessons involved. We can teach our kids coping mechanisms to work through things that are frustrating them so that they can handle them better. But when it's anxiety or OCD, the skills that we're going to use and the language we're going to use and the approaches we're going to use will look different than if it is behavior that's caused by other stressors or other issues. So hopefully that makes sense. So when we realize it's anxiety or OCD, that doesn't mean then that we're going to accept the behavior and we are going to, you know, let them act in a certain way or not have to face the struggle that they are having an issue with as far as whether they didn't want to do a chore or they didn't want to go somewhere or they didn't want to go to bed or go to school. It's not like we are going to give them a pass and say, okay, you don't have to do any of that. And you can call me any names. You can throw things. That's all good too, because I know it's just your anxiety or OCD. I'm definitely not saying that. And I think that's important too, because I do feel like people swing too far in the other direction where they give their child a total pass. And that's not helpful either. We want to give them skills and we want to use different language and we might want to baby step them towards the thing that they're avoiding. We may not force them to do it completely. We can go into that as we get into this topic a little bit farther, but we are not going to just give them a blank check of you get to avoid and you get to treat everybody really horribly. And I really do feel like a lot of times some parents view it that way. So we have two kind of polar opposite approaches to difficult behavior. We have parents who might hang their hat on the fact that it's anxiety or OCD and give way too much leeway, but they're still missing the opportunity to build skills, right? So far over to the right, but they're not building skills. They're just giving their child a pass. And then we have people far over to the left, who, and I'm just saying left and right, whatever, who are punitive and authoritative. And they feel like they have to kind of punish that behavior out. And if they could just be firm enough and solid enough and strict enough, that behavior will stop. That child will just magically go and do the activity that they're avoiding or they're anxious to do and things will get better. They're approaching it in I don't even want to say a typical parenting way because I don't think every parent parents that way, but they're approaching it like it's just difficult behavior with no anxiety or OCD trigger. So let's talk about how you can tell the difference. It's important because you're going to approach it differently. And it is also helpful to know that difficult behavior and anxiety or OCD, like they're not mutually exclusive. So you can have a smush of both. It can be like just difficult behavior. Maybe they're tired or they really don't want to do that. And then their anxiety or OCD is triggered as well. So we're not talking about it has to be one bucket or the other bucket. It can be both. So that's important to know as well. 
So I'm going to go and talk about some of the patterns that you can look for, some of the things that I do in my house to try to differentiate whether this is being triggered by anxiety or OCD. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how I approach that differently and why to wrap it up. So let's start talking about patterns. The first thing you want to look at, and I think this is really important. We've actually done quite a few Facebook lives in the AT parenting community on this topic. For those of you that don't know what the AT parenting community is, I have a membership community. So it's separate from my online classes. It's a community that you can join. It's a membership. And I do live classes in there every week, but the community votes on a topic. And it's so funny because whenever we get new members that come into the community, which the door is only open a few times a year. And every time I do a free series, the door is open for a few days after the series and then they close again. So it will open up first week of February. So if you're not on the waiting list and you want to join, go to atparentingcommunity.com or learn more about it and then see if you want to join us. But they vote on topics. And it's so funny because when we get new people that come in, you know, we repeat topics a lot because people want to talk about it and they're interacting with me and they're giving me their own situation. So we will repeat topics, even though all those classes are recorded and they're uploaded on the website. So you have access to like, I think right now there's like 80 prior classes that, that people just immediately get access to when they join this community. But the number one topic that's been requested over and over and over again is difficult behavior. (laughs) Cause I feel like I'm like, have I, haven't I done a podcast on this? Cause I feel like I've talked about this a lot. And then I realize, I think most of my memories of talking about this are actually in my community group. (laughs) So that's why I am talking about it again, but you want to look at what is happening in that moment for your child. And what I was going to say before I went on that tangent, because I was like, wait, I feel like I've said this before but I haven't. It was to my Facebook live class. When we're parenting anxious kids or kids with OCD, we have to actually have a dual filter. So we have to see their behavior and see it through typical developmental lens of, oh, my child doesn't want to go to bed. They're stalling. They want water. You know, they've come out three times. And then we have to put that same behavior through a second filter, which is their anxiety and OCD themes. So you're going to always want to, and eventually it does get easier to kind of naturally do this. I naturally do it with my kids, but it wasn't always natural. I always look at a situation from multiple lenses. So I'm looking at it from their triggers. And that is why it's really important for you to know your child's anxiety or OCD themes. And even though we approach anxiety or OCD in the same way, fundamentally, the framework is the same regardless of theme. Now for anxiety and OCD, I do treat them differently in the way that I'm going to approach them, but I won't get on that tangent today. I do have a podcast episode on that, which actually I think I've done that twice. So episode 59 is the difference between child anxiety and OCD. And then episode 104, how to tell the difference between anxiety and OCD. And I think in both of those, oh no, one is a video. So ask the child therapist episode 59, that's a YouTube video. So for the podcast, It's episode 104. I just looked it up for you because I figured somebody might want to know what episode that is. And I don't want you to have to search. So, but we're not talking about that today, but it is helpful to figure out your child's core fear or core discomfort behind their anxiety or OCD. And I do have a podcast on that as well. And that is episode 51. And so that is important because when you know your child's current themes and they will change and they will morph and you will have to pivot. So don't get stuck in your box, 
But when I know, like, for example, let's talk about my kids for a second. I know that this is what's on the table at my house. So one of my kids, we won't name them. One of my kids has an issue with food, actually two of my kids, to be honest. But one of them is concerned with dates and expirations. And is it bad? Did it go bad to the point where it seems definitely anxiety related? She doesn't have OCD talking about my oldest. And then I have themes of having to go to the bathroom. So we have sensory motor OCD at my house where it's over and over and over again. That's improved, but it's there. We have a metaphobia going on, the fear of throwing up. There's a little bit of fear of blood in one of my kids. We have the fear of choking. We have disgust around food. So we have social anxiety. (laughs) Gosh, we have a lot. Genetics is so fun. But I know these things. Now, partly what I do, I have three kids with anxiety and OCD, and I have my own anxiety. So it gets busy around here. But I have notes on my phone and on my iPad. And when a new theme pops up, I write it down. I try to like at least jot down some notes each month so that I can see patterns. And I think that that's a really good thing to do because you might kind of forget how these are related. So when I'll give you an example, when I have a really good example, actually, we went on kind of a staycation. And so we were just driving an hour away to stay at a different house, just so my kids could see something different out of their windows. And my daughter, my youngest was having a hard time going to bed the night before the trip and she couldn't sleep and it didn't turn into difficult behavior, but we can use this as an example. It was more of like your just basic anxiety. Like, well, actually, you know what? I'll take that back. I could have probably perceived this as difficult behavior if I didn't, you know, get her so well and already know what her anxiety looks like. And we'll get to that in a second. Cause that's another point that I have. But I might have gotten angry. She kept coming out. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I'm having a hard time. I'm feeling really anxious. My stomach hurts. My heart is racing. She's really vocal. So I didn't have to like guess about her behavior. Now, sometimes kids can come out and they can be really angry. I don't want to go to bed or they can just seem, or you might approach it that way. But I still didn't clue in what was causing that behavior because I'm human too. And I miss these things. And they seem so obvious when I look at them objectively, but in the moment when you're trying to put your kids to bed and you're tired, you're not really thinking about, let me think of all their core themes. Let me think of all their triggers. Let me think of this behavior that's going on currently and what this might mean for that. It's messier than that. And so I'm like, go to bed. What is your problem? You know, I am not mother Teresa when I'm tired. And eventually she came out and she said, mom, I think I'm nervous about tomorrow. I think that's why my stomach hurts. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, duh. How could I miss that? Of course she's nervous about tomorrow. And so I said, well, what's your O cloud saying? Like, what's the scariest part about tomorrow? Even though I knew we don't want to assume. So that's just a side tip there. Don't assume. Even if you're like 99.9% sure this is a no brainer. She always gets anxious when we go on trips and I know exactly why. Don't assume Because sometimes my kids give me a different answer and I'm like, whoa, that wasn't where I was going with that. And I also don't want, I want to give them the space to be heard and let, I can validate their things without them thinking, oh, my mom just assumes that she knows everything about me. So she said, well, you know, we're going on this trip and I know it's like an hour and a half away and I'm worried, you know, like what if I have to pee, which is her ongoing thing. And so she said, I'm worried about that, but I'm also worried because we're taking the dog. What if the dog pees? Because her OCD has kind of moved into like pee is contaminated. We've done a zillion exposures on this, but you know, it's an oldie but goodie. 
And so I wouldn't have thought about the dog. Like that would not have been on my radar at all that she was worried about the dog as well. So you want to look at patterns and you might have to force yourself too, because she wasn't being difficult. She was having anxious behavior, but sometimes, especially when my kids are being difficult, they're screaming and they're shouting and they're, they're saying things like it's boring or it's stupid, or I don't want to, or I'm not going to do it. You can't make me when you're starting to see your child become oppositional, especially maybe in a, in a time or a place when they aren't normally oppositional, or they're actually showing you behaviors that they don't normally show you. They're not normally disrespectful. That becomes easier. Like when you have a child who has true behavioral issues, it is much harder to to detect what is anxiety and OCD and what is just difficult behavior. A lot of us don't have kids who have difficult behavior outside of anxiety or OCD typically. And so when we see it, it sticks out like a sore thumb because we're like, she's not normally disrespectful to me. Now, as your kids get older, they might hit the, like the preteens and you might be like, whoa, she's gotten mouthy and that might be developmental. And you can say, well, she was never like that before, but she's 11 or 12. And that's that age where they start to really flex their independence. And part of that is flexing their, their nastiness, (laughs) you know, to be their own person. And sometimes it comes out as difficult behavior. So we have to watch for that. So the first thing is looking for those patterns. Are they about to do something or did they just do something that can trigger their anxiety or OCD? And you might have to force yourself to think that, right? So my daughter was going to bed, you know, is she doing something that triggers her anxiety and OCD? Yes. Going to bed in general is a trigger for her, but were we going to do something the next day that was triggering? Yes. We were going to go on a trip, a little very tiny trip. Trips are triggering for her. So if your child is refusing to do the dishes or pick up their clothes, just learn how to pause and say to yourself, is there anything about this that could be part of their theme? And they might have a new theme, so you might miss it and that's okay. What happened right now? What happened just a few minutes ago and what is about to happen? So look for those things. A lot of times with my son, he has messed up something on his video game, which can seem like pure difficult behavior, but he's a very obsessive, intense, anxious kid. And when he messes up or he did something that messed up his game or he lost, it is so much more triggering for him than the average boy his age. And he will get very upset. He might be so angry with himself that he might want to like pinch himself. He spirals. And so it's not just difficult behavior. And a lot of times the first thing I know, or I notice when it happens is a slam door or a mouse gets thrown. It would be very easy for me to run in there or just to shout because we have a pretty open floor plan and say, don't throw your stuff or, Hey, don't slam doors. And that is just pure fuel on a fire. And I've done that before because maybe I'm stressed. And this is part of the whole self-care series that I am about to have, which you should sign up for, is starting to be able to read your own cues. When are you so stressed that you're about to burst? And so you're not in a place to handle your child's difficult behavior because your cup is too full and you need to learn how to empty your cup, which my cup gets full a lot. My moods drastically change. Sometimes I'm in a really, really good mood and I can handle, like I could be completely serene during difficult behavior. And other times they're not even being that bad or difficult, but my wiggle room 
my like stressometer is completely filled and I have no more space. And so I'm very impatient and very irritable. So you have to kind of be clued into yourself too. So when you see those things happening, like for me with my son, when I see a mouse getting thrown or, and I don't mean like literally like the computer mouse or when a door gets slammed or when I hear like there's a certain noise that he makes when he's frustrated, I can hear that. And it's probably partly like some PTSD, to be honest, not like literally PTSD, but PTSD like, because it's like a precursor to like really bad behavior. So when I hear it, it's kind of like a grunt, like my stress level goes up instantly and I'm on alert because I've heard that sound, which means something bad, like he's not okay. And I know that that's one of his tells. So the second thing to focus on, so the first is patterns looking at what happened, what has happened right before, what will be happening, and what are your child's themes. So patterns. And the second is to look for tells. So everybody has tells. <laughs> my husband's in law enforcement, so he talks about tells. And I find that really fascinating. One time I took a class in graduate school about body language. And I find that fascinating. Like looking at people, they have mannerisms that they do for certain things. And so learn those with your kids, learn them with your partners. It's actually a really cool superpower to really study the people that you're around. (laughs) And people are going to get all paranoid, but if you're around someone for a long enough time, like there are things that my oldest does when she's nervous, she does this thing where she like kind of touches her eyebrow. And that's when she's feeling really uncomfortable or nervous. There's a thing that my husband does when he's feeling awkward. He does this with his mouth And I can tell that's when he's uncomfortable or he's not sure of himself. My son has a very like overt tell. He normally like buries himself. He hides himself or he grunts. And so when I hear that, or I see that, I know he's not okay with my youngest. Let me think what she does. Uh, She normally starts to get really nasty when she's really, really anxious or she bursts out into tears for nothing. You can say one little thing to her and she just like bursts out into tears, which is not characteristic of her generally. So when that happens, that happened the other day. What was I doing? I was just joking with her. And then I was being a little stern, but I was just joking. And she burst into tears. And we normally have like a kind of a sarcastic banter back and forth. And so that was my first tell or my first clue with her tell that something was not right with her. And then she burst into this whole thing about like, she was having some friend problems and she was having a horrible day. Luckily she's pretty articulate, but some of our kids aren't. So some of your kids might not be articulate. And so you really have to play some detective work focus. So when you know your child is having an anxiety or OCD issue, start to study their body language, start to study the sounds they make, start to study the words they use. I know that sounds creepy. (laughs) I'm going to stalk my child, but there are tells that people do that they do every single time they're feeling a certain mood. So when they're feeling anxious, there are certain clues that our kids are giving to us non-verbally or through verbal language or verbal sounds so or behaviors. So look for tells. The last thing that I would say, so we're looking at patterns, we're looking at tells. And then the last thing is, let's just ask them. <laughs> you know, We don't be mind readers. Let's just ask them. But you have to ask them in a certain way to get a very fruitful response. Because remember, they're having difficult behavior. So they're not in the best place. And so if you ask them, something like, are you having a problem with your anxiety? Right. They are already angry. And so they might say, no, you think everything's my anxiety or my OCD. Gosh, I hate when you do that. And now you've just added like, you just poured some gasoline on this fire. 
So that's not going to be helpful. Or you might say, what's the big deal? Is this your anxiety? So that doesn't help either. Or you might be way over nurturing. Is this your O-cloud? Is O-cloud bothering you? Now that might either give them an invitation to hook onto that excuse if it's not their anxiety or OCD. So it really muddies the waters and it muddies your data. Or they might get really angry. Again, you think everything is my OCD. So the best way to ask, although I don't guarantee like you're going to have a great response, but a more productive way to ask is, and I swear this is actually just going to be on my, like, it's going to be on my grave, on my tombstone. It's just going to be like, Natasha, the woman who always said, you're planting seeds. And she also said, what's the worst part of? (laughs) It's going to be like what I'm going to be famous for, but that's what I'm going to say. (laughs) So there's a spoiler alert. I know it sounds stupid. and I know I always say this, but honestly, I'm telling you this because when you talk to kids like I have for 20 years, you learn what works and what doesn't. When you have to sit there hour after hour after hour talking to kids who don't want to talk to you, you learn. It's like data collecting. You learn what works and saying what's the worst part of, and you have to watch your tone because it's not just the words. It's how you say it. It really gets an answer. So with my daughter, right? Even though she wasn't having like difficult behavior, she was having anxious behavior. So there was no mystery to this. But the other day I said to her, what's the worst part about driving in the car? So I'm not saying what's so hard about driving in the car. I'm not saying what's the big deal about driving in the car. I'm not saying what are you afraid of when we drive in the car? Now I know those can all sound similar, but they are still a bit accusatory and that's not the intention of it, but it can come across that way to a sensitive person. But when I say, I get that driving the car can be really challenging for you. What's the worst part about it for you though? That sounds more empathetic and it sounds like I'm validating. And I know that sounds cheesy to some of you because I get it. Sometimes I cringe at my own stuff. I'm like, sometimes when I'm working with teenagers, I'll be like, just, you know, cheesy alert. I'm about to say something that's like totally a therapist thing to say, but it works. And that's why I'm telling you. So, and it's the same thing for you. This sounds cheesy, but it does work. And so if your child feels validated in the moment that they're angry, they are much more likely to give you an authentic response. So if let's say my son throws the mouse, we've been working on his anger lately and I see him growling in a corner. Now I might give him some space. It depends, but he's gotten really much better at processing his feelings. And so I might go up to him and I say, now he's just acting really difficult. So I'm not gonna say what's the worst part of, because he's not saying he doesn't want to do something. He's obviously just not okay. He's thrown something. So that's the behavior part of it. And if somebody talks to him, he will growl, not literally, but he's going to say something really rude and obnoxious. So that would be a difficult behavior type of piece. But I might say, I'm sorry that you're upset. I see that you're really upset. What happened? Now I'm, I'm empathizing with him. I'm not moving right into disciplining. I'm not like, don't you talk to your sister that way? Or don't you ever throw the mouse that way? We will talk about that after. Because setting limits is not, it's not thrown out the window. You know, limit setting and boundary setting is important, but the first step is figuring out if this is anxiety or OCD, or is this difficult behavior that's triggered by just a regular kid issue? Because I'm going to approach it differently. So I might say, I can see that you're upset. Are you okay? I might not say what happened because that that's probably too much for him at that moment. I just might, I might just say, are you okay? A lot of times when I just say, are you okay? Then right now he's at a stage where he can say that game is so stupid. And I know because it's happened a lot before what is happening with him. 
And then I might say to a sister, like, just move away and give them some space. So the final thing I want to talk about is what to do with that and why it's different. So just to recap, just to make it easy for you, bullet point wise, we're looking at patterns, right? So we know that our child's core fears or core discomforts, because it can be different, doesn't always have to be a fear. We know their core themes related to anxiety or OCD. And if you don't go back to that episode that I just talked about, episode 51, and listen to that one after this so that you can kind of figure out how to find out their core fears or core themes. Then we want to know what what happened maybe right before the behavior and what is going to be happening, whether it's in the next few minutes or, or the next day, what's coming up for that kid, for your kid. And then we want to look at tells. So we want to look at what are the tells. If I don't know what my child's tells are, then I want to start learning them. Every kid has a tell. Look for them. And then the last thing is, what's the worst part of, if that's appropriate to ask, if they're not avoiding something or actively refusing to do something like my son, when he maybe just throws something, I might just sit and validate his feelings for a minute. Wow. You seem really upset. Are you okay? I'm starting with that. And then I'm not going to push it with him because the more you push it, the more maybe volatile he'll get. So if he doesn't say anything, if he growls, well, not literally, (laughs) but he might be like, "Mm," then I'm going to give him some space and I'm there's no time crunch. I don't need to have him process something in that moment. Okay. So those are the four areas I want you to look at, but then we want to talk about how you're going to approach it differently. Now, this episode is not about going into detail about how to approach the difficult behavior. I just want to talk about why it's important that we're going to approach it differently. I do have an entire class on how to help difficult behavior caused by anxiety or OCD. And so it's very in depth and I will leave a link below in the show notes or you can always go to my online school at adparentingsurvivalschool.com and you'll see that in my library of classes. I have, I think I have six or seven classes at this point and you'll see one called Difficult Behavior. That's the one I'm talking about. And that class helps you go through how to figure out if the behavior is anxiety or OCD related, how to talk to your child about it. There are worksheets and videos that walk you through exactly how to help your child. And I, there's videos in there. I believe I've done so many classes that I kind of forget what's in my videos, but that class I believe has videos directly for your kids too. So you're learning things, you're learning approaches. And then there's a video that you can show your child and say, here, watch this. And then you're on the same page. I'm just teaching them in a kid friendly way. So that's kind of cool. Okay. I actually just paused and looked at that class <laughs> because I'm like, so I like, I just, cause I have one on sleep. I've one on difficult behavior. I have one on OCD, one on anxiety. So I have a lot. But in this class, I actually made separate videos for kids and I made separate videos for teenagers. So regardless of how old your child is, there's a video that would be age appropriate for them and walking them through how to manage their own difficult behavior, how they can figure out if it's anxiety or OCD related and what they can do about it. So if you want to learn more about that, and there's worksheets and things that kids can do or teens can do, it's at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So I'm not going to go into the whole, like how, as far as breaking it down and what you can do skill wise, cause that is pretty comprehensive over there, but I want to talk about why, and the important reason why we want to differentiate, whether it is maybe just typical difficult behavior or anxiety or OCD related is because that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to build skills. The best way to build skills related to anxiety or OCD besides doing exposures and ERP exposure with response prevention, which is the only 
treatment approach that really, if you have a child with OCD, you should be doing is highly effective. But when they're having a hard time, that's an opportunity. So we can view it as a, an opportunity to grow their skills, to walk them through self-regulation, to walk them through connecting their mind and body, to walk them through how to connect the dots, how to communicate, or we can just discipline it. And I really believe that every episode, every difficult behavior is an opportunity in general, but when it comes to anxiety and OCD, that's a different opportunity. So I'm going to want them to realize that they're having a problem. I'll give you an example that I've used a lot just because it was like so classic. I feel like I've overused it. I wish I need to get a new example, but I can't think of one right now. So I'm going to just talk about this one. I've used this example a lot when I've talked about difficult behavior, because it was just so pure. It was just such a good example of what I'm talking about. So a long time ago now, at this point, my son had to do a chore and he had to go and get like the different trash cans around the house. And I know we've, we have probably had a million other episodes of difficult behavior since then, but like, this is the only example that ever comes to me when I'm talking about this, because it's just so classic. I got really angry with him because he refused to do this chore and like go around to the different rooms of the house and just get the little trash bins and empty them. Super simple. And I thought he's not being a team player. And I started to like rail on him. Like we all have to do our part. You have to pitch him. And then I paused for a second. This was years and years ago at this point. I need to, I'll have to think about a different example, but I said to him, what's the, what's the worst part about getting these trash cans? And I didn't say it in an accusatory way. I took a pause and I said that, and he said, it's dark and it wasn't dark. It was the daylight, but I didn't jump on that and say, it's not dark in there. Stop giving me, you know, stop giving me excuses. I know he is afraid of the dark and I know he's afraid of like going into rooms by himself. And so I was like, what's the scariest part about it being dark? Well, somebody might pop out or like you might pop out or cause he doesn't like jump scares, which a lot of anxious kids don't because our nervous systems, and I'm saying are, because this is a case for me too, is very sensitive. And so my startle response is very quick and very extreme. And so is his. And so a lot of times we, we get nervous about those things because we don't want to have that startling feeling. And so once I knew what his issue was around that, he didn't get a pass for doing a chore, but we were going to work on that. We weren't going to work on it as a chore. We were going to work on it as an exposure. And so I said, well, you have to pitch in what would you like to do instead? And he picked something else. And so he didn't get away with, you know, not doing a chore. He, he did something else and he did it fine. He didn't give me a hard time, but then we didn't leave that because that was an opportunity. And so it highlighted something we needed to work on. And so it became bigger on my radar and we talked about his issue. And so that was an opportunity that would have been missed if I just punished him and said, you're not a team player. You know, you have to do your chores. You're, you know, you're going to lose all your electronics. What am I doing in that moment? I'm, I'm missing a whole opportunity to validate his feelings, to let him know that it's his anxiety, to let him know that I get, you know, that squishy, that's the name of his anxiety and OCD is like really being big right now. And we're not going to dive into that. We're going to get you to do your chore and we'll get you to do a different one, but let's work on being afraid of the dark because I know that he uses that against you all the time. So we're not losing that opportunity. Now, if it was something like, let me try to think of one. Like my daughter, let me use her as an example. There were times where she doesn't want to go on road trips because she is so worried that someone's going to have an accident. So we wouldn't just not go. 
let's just take this recent trip that was like literally an hour and a half away from our house. She wasn't that bad this time, but we've had other trips to California, which is six hours where she's really, really freaked out. And we don't just say, oh, you know what? We know that's your OCD. So we just won't go. It's okay. Linking the difficult behavior with the core fear or the core issue doesn't mean that we avoid it. It just means we talk about it, right? So in the case with my son and the trash cans, we we did avoid it. He did avoid it in that moment because you don't have to win every battle in the moment. It was something that we were going to circle back to. And he has done a zillion exposures since then about going into dark rooms and going into rooms that aren't even dark by himself. And he has earned points for it. And he is so much better than he would have been if we hadn't worked on it and if I, we hadn't identified it. But sometimes it's something that can't be avoided. It's something that has to be done, right? I'm flexible. So in that moment, did he have to do that chore, that particular chore? Was like my authority going to be completely undermined if I became flexible and acknowledged his anxiety and had him do something else with the side note of we will work on this later? No, right? We don't want to get into that black and white parenting style. But Sometimes we have to do things that regardless of whether it's anxiety or OCD, we have to do it or we're not going to avoid it. And a trip is a good example, right? So in the past, my daughter would scream and cry and say, I don't want to go. I'm not going. You can't get me in the car. And we do gamify it. So I say, we are going to go because you always have a great time when we go. And it's not fair that your O cloud gets to ruin this for you. So I'm not yelling at her and I'm not talking about her like, your anxiety and OCD always ruin this for us. And we can't have that. No, I'm empathizing with her while talking about her OCD as separate from her. You know, your O-Cloud always, it makes me so sad that your O-Cloud takes some of this joy away from you and makes you worry to the point where you don't want to even go and do something that I know you're going to love. So we're still going to do it, but let's talk about, and then we move into the approaches and that's where the skill building comes in. And we're not going to dive into that because that's all about how you approach anxiety and OCD and what you tell your child and what you do, but you move into that. And so for this past trip, she did her own exposures. She said, actually, we just returned. And so when we were returning, she's like, how long is the trip back? Now that sounds like a very innocent question, but that's not for her. That is an OCD question for her, right? And so my red flags are up. When I hear her ask that, because I know why she's asking that. So I'll say to her, it's going to be about an hour and a half. And then she says, okay, well, I've held my pee for like six hours before. So an hour and a half is not that bad. I can do that. So she's already kind of using her skills by herself, but then we're going to take it one step further. So as we're driving back, it's like, Hey, how about you hold the dog? Right? Well, what if the dog pees on me? Well, what if the dog pees on you? Right? The likelihood isn't very high because she didn't pee on the way here, but what if she does, right? We always want to try to get them to accept the worst case scenario in most things. And then she's like, well, okay, I could, you know, I could wash it off. It's fine. And she held the dog for some of the ride back. And so that was an opportunity. So if we look at difficult behavior as sometimes an opportunity, we're going to build those skills quicker than if we are looking at just disciplining it. So I hope this makes sense today. Now, I do want to give a caveat before I end this podcast with not every difficult behavior is going to have these beautiful life lessons where it's like kumbaya and you're like, this is the core fear. And Natasha says to like, let me use my skills and I'm reading their tells and now I'm going to approach this in a beautiful way. It's messy and it doesn't always end up like that. 
Sometimes at my house, if I'm just not screaming my head off, that's pretty impressive. If I'm like, I know this is your anxiety and OCD. Even if I don't and I just lose my cool and I shout and I feel bad later, we're human. And so just having this knowledge and knowing how to approach it is really helpful when you use it like 20 to 30% of the time. (laughs) That's what I always say to people in my practice, to the parents in my practice. I'm like, if you use this 20 or 30% of the time, you are way ahead of the game. So give yourself a break. Difficult behavior is difficult. That's why it's called difficult behavior. And sometimes you're going to lose it on your kids and you're not going to break them, right? It's that awareness. It's that awareness of being like, yeah, I didn't like the way that I approached that. Next time they do that, I'm going to try to be calmer. I'm going to walk away or I'm going to do some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about in my self-care series that you should sign up for so that you can learn how to do that so that you have less of those moments. But even then you're going to have those moments. I have those moments all of the time. The only reason why I don't feel like a hypocrite is because I come on my podcast and I tell on myself, (laughs) like, hey, I'm open. I tell people that I'm not Mother Teresa. I tell them that I don't handle my stuff because sometimes I get it from my kids, especially my youngest, where she'll be like, and you're a therapist and people pay for you to teach them how to help their kids. Or she'll say, you're an OCD therapist. You need to help me. She's kind of funny. But it makes me feel bad, honestly, sometimes because I do feel like, oh my gosh, that I did not handle that well. And I am a professional. So my hope with this podcast is just to give you the education and the knowledge of how to approach things, but not the expectation that you're always going to be able to do it because no human being is always going to be able to respond to difficult behavior in a beautiful way all of the time. So aim for that 20 or 30% you're doing better than most people. All right. Well, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope that you're finding it helpful. If you are, I always love when people hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you are listening and rate the show. That actually really does help the podcast. People like to know that this is a liked and appreciated show. If you have an extra 30 seconds to give back, giving back is a nice thing. If you can leave a review, I really greatly appreciate it. And to show my appreciation, I always try to end the show reading one of them. So I want to thank Bratko who wrote amazing resource. I found these podcasts a few months ago and have learned so much, not only about my children, but about myself. I love sharing links with family, friends, and my kids so we can all learn together. Thank you so much for sharing all the wonderful information in a way we can all understand. Well, thank you for taking the time to write a review. I really appreciate it. So if you write a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find a sparkle in everything you do. Sign up for my self-care series so I can get to know you better. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 